Obviously, uh, Dean Simonoff came back from Rwanda, and he's been doing a lot of just some powerful things going on, and God's really been opening doors. And so he's going to be taking our message time today. So, uh, Dean Simonoff, you can come forward. Yep. Good morning, Junction Church. Just thinking, I was sitting here today and uh, remembering the building of this, or renovation, I should say, of this building that we use now. Uh, it's pretty gratifying to have been part of that beginning and then to be sitting here and just seeing uh, all you people here and worshiping on Sundays. Everything that happens and goes on through this church is just, uh, just super amazing. And it's another testament of, of God leading and God sometimes just saying one little word. And if you obey, this is what happens. Now, God's always at work. And sometimes if we don't hear his word or we don't obey, he's going to maybe do it through somebody else. But it's pretty cool to be part of that. It's cool to obey and to be part of that work that happens. And that's kind of, um, again, we were, Marlene and I were blessed to be part of this uh, founding of this church. Uh, Brian's here today. He was a founding SLP member. Uh, who, is anybody else here today founding SLP member? Yeah, Ruth. She was there right from day one. So when, you, when God speaks, he's always at work. He speaks, says, hey. Go say hi to that person or go do this or maybe start a Bible study or maybe go here and, and check this out. And when you're obedient, sometimes big things happen. God's always, always at work around us. What I hope you're going to hear today and just see is through this talk this morning is that not only do we have a God who's a God of justice, a God that's powerfully at work and uh, delivering that justice. So I hope you see that this morning. Quickly, I want to recognize two of our Martial Arts for Justice board members. This is a bit of a, an update, not entirely, but a bit of an update on where we're at with Martial Arts for Justice and that work. But I'd like to recognize our Justice Martial Arts for Justice board members who are here today. So Mr. Brian right there, he's our treasurer. So he's more than willing to take in your donations anytime right now. He might be running around, you never know. Um, but he's the guy where, that uh, gives back all the uh, tax receipts. And Miss Stacy, where is Stacy sitting with Dylan? There's Stacy back there on our directors as well. She's our secretary and board of directors. And Miss Abby Napora. Do you know Abby? Does anybody here know Abby? <laughs> But 
you probably didn't know, some of you might not know, there's two Mrs. Naporas in the room today. Didn't know that? So I really want to honor uh, Gladys this morning because uh, Gladys, if it wasn't for Gladys, we wouldn't have had Terry Napora with us. And if it wasn't for Terry Napora with us, we might not have Abby Napora here at this church. Amen. So please honor uh, Abby's mother-in-law, Gladys Napora. And that's just another, it's, it's amazing all these interactions that, that God does because um, Terry and I were friends and, and uh, met each other through financial uh, business and whatnot. And so he had never, he was not attending church at that time or nothing, but because of our friendship and he knew what I do and what I did in the church and different things like that, um, you know, gradually that led him to this church. So it was pretty cool. Okay, so where are we at? We're on slide one already. Uh, a couple things that I want to just focus on, for me anyways, uh, how I become directed in life has to be determined by scripture, okay? So, I was just saying to Gary here just before our service this morning, for me at least, I see kind of two big kind of commands what we're told to do through through the Bible. One is the Great Commission. Okay, that's for everybody, and we're supposed to do that, right? And the other is the least of these, widows, orphans. There's several scriptures that focus on that, that aren't just, hey, in your spare time, uh, you know, see if you can't throw somebody five dollars. That's not how I read those scriptures. And so there's two big uh, commands in our life to, to focus on, and that's what kind of directs me in a general sense and in a big sense, in a long-term sense, for life direction. Uh, so this first scripture here I really like uh, that really highlights that. So religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, excuse me. Um, so when you look at that, to look at look after orphans and widows in their distress. Again, anytime I've read through the Bible, I don't see this as a kind of a Look after your own self, look after your bank account, look after your career, look after all these other things, and then in your spare time, do, do this, look after other people. So, uh, it's a pretty, it needs to be a pretty core, central part of our life and of who we are, to be caring for, for others. Uh, here also, a father to the fatherless, God, he's a defender of widows. And you're going to see that uh, coming up here shortly. We'll talk a little bit about the work we've done with the widows in Rwanda. And it's here, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And so these scriptures 
have always sort of driven me, have always been part of who I am since I've been a believer. And I think when you when those become not not like an obsession where you're just obsessed every day, every minute, but they're a core part of your overall compass, your overall direction. And I think when you're in that zone and when you're doing that, God puts those things in front of you to carry that out. And this scripture, if I was to say, you know, in the last many years, one scripture that's kind of like, I feel like it's my scripture, if, again, for everything that I focus on or do, is this scripture here. Uh, Whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. That's always been uh, at the core of everything that I do. Uh, now, tying in that scriptural sort of direction, scriptural compass, I uh, just wanted to highlight this slide just quickly. This would be a whole talk or several talks just on this alone, and Jesse has done, spoke on this before, um, experiencing God. So if anybody here is feeling like, how do, how do I know what God's telling me to do? How do I know what direction to go? How do I hear God's voice? This book here... This one book, uh, amazing pastor and author, Henry Blackaby, uh, wrote it, must be 25 or 30 years ago. Um, this, this single, we did this as a Bible study actually down in Shore Acres with Les and Piano. Um, I don't know who else was in that study at that time, but this literally tra- changed the direction of my life, or almost dictated it from that point on. Uh, and I don't know why. Uh, you know how you can study something or learn something and then it goes in one ear and out the other and, oh, I just can't get that right. I keep doing it over and over again. But for some reason, this really stuck with me. And it's it um, seems to have continued to open more and more doors um, continuously, uh, especially, again, recently with the work in Rwanda. But so if you want, by the way, if you want... Just info, ask me later about that uh, seven realities of experiencing God, or Jesse will know what we're talking about then. Now, given those things of what Scripture is telling us to do with looking after the least of these, with widows and orphans, and now when you might say, okay, I want to go look after widows and orphans, okay? What I learned a long time ago is you cannot say, okay, I'm going to go do this and create this and get going down this road because scripture tells me to do this and then ask God to come and join me later or ask him to come and join me when I'm in trouble or things aren't quite working out the way I expected okay this instrumental it's so critical to understand that God is always at work around us he's always at work he's at work with the widows and orphans. He's at work everywhere. He's asking us to join him. Okay, so that's really important to always remember. Uh, Many of you know that, but I just wanted to emphasize that. So, when we look at that, I don't know why I ended up in Africa. I don't know why I ended up in in Rwanda. I don't know why uh, Stacy and I met. Where'd she go? She snuck out of the room. I wanted to start talking about her. Uh, so 
So watch out who you're talking to at parties. <laughs> or you could end up in Africa. <laughs> so it's uh, six years ago, 2013, uh, Stacy introduced some justice study to the Nelson Church with the youth she was working with at the time. Uh, International Justice Mission uh, provided kind of the study material and that was kind of the focus. And they were doing fundraising, of course they encouraged fundraising. And uh, so I got involved with that. And now that has led to us literally have formed a Canadian charity and talking to the Rwandan government about delivering enhanced resilience to virtually all the people in Rwanda. So from that one conversation, this is where you end up. So again, warning, count the cost. Uh, so I want to highlight just briefly here, I just came across this yesterday, this article is doing a bit of Googling and it's, it, I, I don't expect you to see it up there, so I'm not, uh, I'll, I've got a copy here, I can show it to you later. But this is, uh, I'll just read a, a couple parts of it here. So this was a, an article done by the Secretary General of the UN at the time who was Mr. Was that a name? Kofi? Or I think I'm right. Is his name not even on here? I think it's Kofi and Yeah, here it is, yeah. So following are the remarks of Secretary General Kofi Annan of the Interagency Video Conference for World Free of Violence Against Women. So this was done in March 1999. March 1999, and look at the headline. Violence Against Women, Most Shameful, Pervasive Human Rights Violation. And it hasn't gotten any better. So what's going on? Why hasn't it got better? So that's just a one, one quick little uh, sort of a comment, but it's you know powerful comment and it's true. Uh, I posted this on on Messenger yesterday too. There's a book that I listened to quite a few years ago, and I'm just re-listening to it again. It's called Half the Sky. If you want to know anything to do with the challenges of women and women's rights and women's equality or safety, gender violence, things like that in the world. Uh, if you got a tough stomach, I really recommend reading that book. But it's, uh, it's, it's frightening the level of violence and things that are out there, uh, particularly against women in our world and children. And what we need to remember here in North America is we're not immune from that. We know there's certain levels of, in Canada, certain levels of human trafficking and things like that, but we're not immune from these epidemics. So like in Uganda right now is epidemic of gender-based violence. That's widely uh, agreed upon even with the government there. Uh, World Bank is giving donations and, and grants there trying to fight it. Uh, but th it's an epidemic and there's not enough people or not enough will sometimes to step forward and do something about that. But if we're not careful, there's nothing to stop that from coming over here. Right? We think we're so immune. Yeah, we have good justice systems. But just like Ebola could sneak over here sometimes. 
if we're not careful and we allow a world like that to exist up there, we just might find ourselves in, in big trouble one day. Okay? And so not only do we have kind of a command from Scripture to go and help those in need, um, we can even look at it from somewhat of a selfish reason, too. Like, we want, don't you guys want to live in a better world? Don't you want to live in a world that's free of that? That your neighbors, you're not going to sit there at, at your house and your neighbor's got gender-based violence going on and your wife is getting beaten or something that next door and you're sitting every day knowing that's happening. So that's right next door, but what's the difference between that nowadays and 16 hours you could be sitting in Rwanda? Right? So those are our neighbors. Those are, that's right next door. Okay, we need to be aware of that level. Uh, just like how the genocide happened in Rwanda in 1994. Even prior to that, there was persecution, constant persecution. And that was all leading up for years and years and years. And people ignored it. Until it all blew up. So we need to be active. We need to be paying attention to those kinds of things. And we have the ability to do that. So right now, with martial arts of justice, in a very short time, um, we've been able to take an empowerment, self-defense empowerment program, trauma healing program, and have it being entertained by big NGOs in Rwanda, as well as the, right now the Rwanda government. So if we can do that and empower all these women, empower them to look after themselves, imagine that. Imagine the country of Rwanda, gender violence isn't even talked about. Okay? Imagine Uganda, gender violence isn't even talked about. If we can duplicate, if we can do that in one country, why can't we duplicate that in all the others? We can do that. But there has to be the will. And from the will comes the dollars and manpower and all those other things. But the program's been dropped right in our lap, literally, by God to deliver that. So that's the good news. So from all those uh, other things, as uh, like I mentioned earlier, started learning about justice and things like that, uh, Marlene and I got to go to Africa in 2015, which is only four years ago, uh, our first time to Africa and experienced uh, the work of International Justice Mission and seeing how they're helping people on the ground, meeting people, hugging people that we literally, our dollars went to help. And so that was pretty powerful experience and considering we were only on the ground in Africa for eight days, eight, maybe nine days, of course it was life-changing. Okay, so coming back from that, then the wheels are turning here, and the vision became, what could we do through the platform of martial arts? And again, when I talk martial arts, I'm talking about martial artists that are call themselves black belts, that recite a student oath, that say they're a champion of freedom and justice, but all they do is go exercise once a week or twice a week. So there's hundreds of millions of those people in the world so our mission right now is to motivate them, to educate them, motivate them to become true champions of justice. So that demographic, that potential there is huge, huge and huge. International Justice Mission at the same time 
is working through the churches. Okay? International Justice Mission is doing different kind of work than what we're doing, but again, if all the churches could be mobilized and everybody was motivated to be part of that, we can change this. We can literally eliminate modern-day slavery. We can literally eliminate, not going to totally eliminate it, of course, but have gender-based violence not even a topic. Okay? So that's the potential, literally the potential that's out there. Juliana, my friend here, uh, met her in 2015, we met her, and then this picture is from 2016, we went back to see her again. Um, one of the things I want to emphasize also about martial arts for justice is what we're trying to do that's different from uh, some other activities or other uh, benevolence and helping people and all kinds of different things is, number one, we're fighting violence and oppression. Okay? So there's all kinds of programs all over the world of, of uh, educating girls and, and feeding people that need food and clothing people, all those things. We, we have compassion, Marlene and I have a compassion child and a world vision child, I think. All that's good stuff. But people can't function, they're never going to be independent, healthy on their own if they face violence all the time. Right? So imagine a world without violence and oppression. You think they can't figure out in their own community education or farming and food and all those things? So, so much of the suffering, so much of the help that we're, we have to do comes back to violence. And violence and oppression, of course, are things that hide kind of in the dark. They're not out in the news enough. They're not out in our face. So they're things we don't hear about, but the statistics are irrefutable. They're there. So with Juliana, for example, uh, IGM literally did rescue her from her property being stolen by a thug. And that thug, it, it was the first time a perpetrator got six years in jail in Uganda for doing that to a widow. So that was a huge landmark case for her. And we got to visit her home, like I said, a couple times. Uh, but she never leaves my mind and even though I haven't gone back there specifically to help Juliana she's always on my mind as we're building MAJ to help not just thousands maybe millions of widows and protect them so it's, it's important to help one individual and another individual and if God's put them in front of you for sure but what we're building here is that momentum in that uh, mass that we can make a huge effect in one whole country and then another and another and also to in case I forget I'll mention it now everything we do martial arts of justice in these countries in Rwanda right now is we're training them it's not a bunch of us Mazunga over there doing the work okay or painting a house for them, or this kind of stuff, okay? We're training them. We're not feeding them. You know, we're not buying them this or buying them that. We're training them to empower them that they can train others. So we're building those that infrastructure and that those teams so that they can look after themselves. The power is going into their hands. 
Here's my Rwanda justice team. I just want to tell you, mention about a couple of these individuals here. Uh, Blaze on the far left there, uh, awesome guy. He's a pastor, Pastor Blaze. He's been so instrumental the last couple of years helping us there on the ground. He would basically be probably our field office director, our, my main director in Rwanda um, as we move towards that. So he's uh, so dedicated to the cause, so dedicated to wanting to help his people, and that's huge. Uh, so he's, he's an amazing individual. I'd love to see these three uh, visit here sometime. So that's a bit of a, a dream too. Uh, Miss Zula, of course, she's uh, been with us now about three years. And uh, she's a third degree black belt in Taekwondo in Rwanda. So she was for some time considered the toughest girl in Rwanda because she, as a poor girl, never finished, barely finished elementary school, never did high school. And then at about 16 or so, found martial arts, got into Taekwondo. Taekwondo was just kind of starting in Rwanda at that time. Got onto the national team. She's the first female in, in many things there. And so she got to travel a lot of the world. She's been to Mexico City, Russia, Paris, uh, Greece, Amsterdam, and so on. So she's got a lot of experience that way. She's got a huge heart for helping uh, other people, anybody that's kind of down and out, but for helping women. So she's been an instrumental part of our team there as well, being trained up so that literally the idea is if I'm not there, these three can carry out that same work I would be doing if I was there. So that's, we're very close to achieving that. Now, Sensei on the far right, uh, that's another neat story. And I've got a couple more slides with him coming up. I'm wearing his sandals today in honor of him. Uh, yeah, let's jump here. So uh, back in November, we were got invited over to Rwanda to train 35 therapists. So most of you remember uh, the invitation was from an organization called Avega, Akahozo. And that organization looks after 20,000 Rwandan genocide widows. So these are genocide widows that were would have seen their husbands murdered in a genocide. They probably would have been raped themselves. Many of them become pregnant. Through all that, super humiliated, of course. So very tragic. That was 25 years ago. So it was 24 and a half years ago when I was there in November. And so they called me to train 35 therapists that work with that whole organization with the idea that eventually this training is going to go down through right to these widows, some that you see in the front there. Uh, what happened here in this instance was the executive said, well, yeah, your training looks good. You know, this was getting into about day three and everything, you know, it looks good, but these old, what about these old ladies, these old widows, they can't, they can't do that physical training. They can't do that martial arts stuff. And so I said, well, bring me a dozen widows. Let's see. So the, the program, the course we do is four hours a day for five days. So they're bringing them one Wednesday afternoon. I have them for an hour and a half. What am I going to do in an hour and a half to have it meaningful or whatever? So I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants like I often am over there. So this was part of that session. 
and this wasn't church worship like you guys here. This was a breathing exercise, but it made for an awesome photo. Uh, and actually, this lady in the front, last my last trip, I, I printed an 8 by 10 and, and gave it to her when I went over there. Uh, so this exercise here, I, I had these widows for an hour and a half, so I just put them through little snippets, a little bit of reading, a little bit of talking about a few things, and then some physical exercise, and it finished with breaking a board. So this widow here was part of that group. So she, then some of them came back on Friday, kind of part of closing ceremony. So this widow here, you can see her walking stick by her feet here. And so on that Friday, I just asked her, you know, if we could have a photo together. So she, she's all eager and she, you can see her smiling there. And she comes up and she throws her stick down on the ground. She says, I don't need that. I'm strong now. So in a, in a short time of only an hour and a half spending some time with them, that started to begin inject some empowerment into these ladies. This lady here is the vice president of Avega. So Avega is an organization that is run by the members, and she's the vice president. And so we became good buddies. And this is her in that similar uh, same session. And in that session, I saw her again on Friday. And she told me, and again, through translators, she doesn't speak English. I don't speak Tinjirwanan. She told me she went home that night, that Wednesday night. She had the best sleep of her life. She dreamt she was being attacked, but she dreamt she could fight back. So talk about changing the narrative was amazing. So when I went back this last time, so it was just five months later, uh, I wanted to go see her and greet her and say hi. So I go back, and she's it's about an hour out of Kigali. So on the right-hand side is the chief executive of, uh, of Vega. And Blaze is on the left there. So we had to drive out an hour to go see her, but I found out she had a broken foot. And the broken foot wasn't from Taekwondo. But we go to her home, and we're sitting there visiting, and of course they're super honored and, you know, greeting you and everything. But I could not believe when she said through the translator, she's been practicing Starblock set in her kitchen ever since I was there last. So we do star block set like this. We just teach a ba basic exercise, energizing the nervous system. And that's how seriously they take our help. Little things like that. Like there's nobody told her to do that. Nobody said you had to do that or anything. So very cool. So we have a memorandum of understanding signed now with that organization to start training trainers uh, at grassroots level and the community level. So we're going to go. It might take, we're doing different estimates, it might take $100 each to train for one widow like that to go through our one-week program. $100 per person. Kind of an average cost. But we're going to train trainers at the community level that are kind of people that are community leaders or social work experience, a little bit like that. And they'll become resilience instructors and be able to put their people through through the program. 
So there is sensei, can't go around there. So you can see the, our martial arts jackets here. So I got to tell you a quick story about sensei. So he's a karate black belt, okay? So last time when I was there in November, the newspaper actually did two different newspaper articles on the work we were doing there. And so, and Kigali's a big city, it's like the size of Vancouver, maybe bigger, I'm not sure of the population. But he sees this newspaper story, hears about it, he comes tracking me down through Kigali trying to find me because he wants to get involved in the work. So he's a sixth degree black belly karate. He could easily say, well, what do you think you're doing? You're in my country, I could be doing the same thing or whatever, right? You don't know what, so he's coming to track me down. I don't know, I've never met him before. And so when we met, he, he came to the hotel, where can I sign up? So we met back in November and didn't get to spend a lot of time together, but you know, a little bit of time visiting. And so this time when I was going back, I was going back prepared to do at least one other project, one week session. So I wanted to involve him so that he could learn and, and understand a little bit more what we're doing. But one of my concerns with him was, you know, he's a long time karate black belt. What we do, I, I say this quite often, what we do it doesn't have all that much to do with martial arts, okay? We are teaching some basic self-defense. Um, but, but the mind-body uh, movement and breathing and all those sorts of things relates back into empowerment and to trauma healing. Um, so it's not, it's not like you're taking a martial arts class. I might feel like that a little bit sometimes. But easily, you do not take a, a hardcore karate black belt and bring them 20 widows that have been traumatized and expect that's going to go well. Right? So you don't just do that. So our approach isn't me walking in and turning a bunch of wid widows into black belts. Okay? It's completely, completely different. That's a longer story sometime talking about more specifically about the resilience program. But we do go in with very careful sort of bedside manner and very sensitive to who we're working with. So. But when, so when I met him, I had to kind of discern, okay, is he going to be a great team partner and somebody to come alongside us and want to join this work? Or is he going to have his own agenda? So I was very unclear about that. So I had brought, I designed these jackets just before this last trip. And they, the price for just a few of them is getting a little bit expensive, so I was getting cheap. And, okay, I'm going to take one extra one. So I knew I wanted one for myself, Zula and Blaze. But I took one extra one thinking it might be for him. So I waited several days. I was there and, and we met and talked. And when I felt like this was a good fit, then I presented him the jacket. So he was just so ecstatic, it's not even funny. He's a very cool dude. I'll tell you a little bit more about him here shortly. So this was his class. So he, he'll invite me to come and teach. So Taekwondo and Karate do have a lot of similarities. So I, I go in there feeling pretty intimidated, but then I put on my game face and go in there and do the best I can, and, and we have a good time. So it was very, very honored there. He's on my left-hand side there in the photo. Um, and 
he was very keen to be explaining to his students about justice and about martial arts, something that they hadn't been to Canadian for. And it's funny, that if you look at that picture, all this last trip, we were together a lot, and he constantly was always, when we're doing photos, I want to stand beside you, I want to stand beside you, that way I won't look so black. <laughs> Seriously, man. <yeah. laughs> so Sensei, uh, he's considered in Rwanda genocide hero. During the genocide, well, and he told me a lot of stories that way before the genocide, how he was persecuted. He was a Christian. The, the persecution that was leading up way before the actual genocide. All kinds of stories where he thought he was going to be murdered or just persecuted in a lot of different ways. So unbelievable story this guy has. And then when the genocide broke out, his wife and daughter at the time were murdered. He still rescued 150 lives and helped. He had a whole group that were just trying to flee the country, flee the city and the country to try and get to Burundi across the border. There's, I think there's a river maybe on the border that they felt like they had to cross. And they start out with, a, I think, a couple thousand and, and lost many along the way and stuff like that. But he's credited with saving around 150 lives. So you imagine what a guy like that's lived through from the persecution before to your wife and daughter murdered to rescuing those people and just seeing it's, it's unimaginable for us of course it's just unbelievable but then to be standing alongside somebody like that that still wants to help their country fix the country help fight uh, for justice and equality and all those things. Uh, just, yeah, got so much respect for, for him. But the humility, too. You know, again, like I said, it's his country. Look what he's been through. And I'm just some Mazunga from Canada. Why wouldn't he say, what are you coming here telling us what? Right? But, super, super humble, super humble. So what happened now, as we become best buddies, gives me his sandals. That's a for sure sign that you're buddies. The connections that guy has in Rwanda is unbelievable. So this guy beside me on my right hand side, member of parliament. So my first week there, I'm sitting on a Saturday morning trying to chill out and, and the more trips I've made, I'm more conscious of my time and, and having downtime and not visiting all the time, and it gets quite tiring. So I thought this is my nice, quiet Saturday morning, and he's texting me. Oh, I'm coming over in a few minutes. I'll be right there. So I'm about three, uh, three blocks from the main stadium in the city in Kigali, and he was over there doing some karate training that morning with a couple of buddies. Oh, I'll be right there. I'm coming over. He doesn't tell me why or nothing else. I'm thinking, oh, did he get his days mixed up or what? So he comes over, but he brings this fellow on my right-hand side with him and another guy. And they were training together. This guy's a fifth-degree black belt karate, the member of parliament. So he brings him over, introduces him, 
And it's like, okay, God. <laughs> Opening, we don't need, slow down, we don't need any more doors open. <laughs> so we're sitting just relaxing, share him about our, our concept. He says, I love your method methodology, the whole concept. So, of course, being a martial arts, he somewhat understands that kind of ties in with the mind-body work and stuff like that. And, of course, being Native Rwandan himself, he understands the gender violence, he understands the trauma. He just told me recently, his wife, what's her career now? I think his wife's a doctor or something like that, but she she's also faced a lot of trauma and things in her life. So it's, you know, pervasive through all the people there. So he became a... a awesome ally so the following week as we started we were just starting in this photo a one-week training session with some rwanda youth girls uh, older teens and young early 20s uh that program he came you know so he's he's a member of parliament he's a dignitary so he comes shows up greets everybody talks um and just started to become very supportive so his this connection with him led to him introducing me to Another MP, a female MP, who got elected in Rwanda just in the fall, who her, if you read her newspaper interview online when she first got elected, her mandate was to prevent gender violence. That was her mandate. So he messages her, connects me with her. She buys us dinner one night. And now we're preparing to... We've been asked to present a concept note, which is just sort of like a preliminary project proposal to what's called the Rwanda Women's Parliamentary Forum. So you have your members of parliament, and then they have their kind of like subcommittees and, and caucuses and forums and stuff. So it's called the Rwanda Women's Parliamentary Forum, 90 members. I think there's only, I can't remember how many members of parliament in the country, 110 or something like that. There's 90 in this forum. More 50 plus are men, or sorry, 50 plus are women, but quite a few are men in the same forum together. And so that forum has officially asked, asked Martial Arts of Justice to present a concept note based on my conversations with this Madame Beline, is her name, on our program and potentially putting it into every Rwanda high school. Him here again, John. So here's Madame Beline. This was her just after we had our dinner that night. She bought us dinner. Um, it's, it's pretty cool to be able to sit, you know, across the dinner table and just talking on these concepts, ideas, getting to know each other, getting to hear some of her story. Um, again, genocide survivor herself. Uh, talked about a lot of her trauma that she went to, went through, and she's done some trauma training herself as well. So, um, yeah, we made a pretty strong connection, and so now we're working on getting that concept note to them. Another bizarre connection, uh, everything is God, of course, but this fellow is Professor Vincent Cesavera. He's the top psychiatrist in the country. So he's the head psychiatrist of the University of Rwanda, and uh, 
he's the founder, he, he started an organization just called Rwanda Psychologist Association, something like that, a professional association, trying to get things more formalized and organized like that. So him and I had an, actually a one hour video call back in December, because we, we kind of just were trying to build introductions, trying to kind of get our fingers into the University of Rwanda a little bit or, or find out where that might go. And so when I was there this last trip, Things were extremely busy because the, this last April 7th was officially the 25th anniversary of the genocide. So the, the country was just very different. You know, everything was focused on that. And so he was super busy, of course. And so we wanted to connect. We were trying to connect. We just never had time, never had a chance. And so uh, Blaze had initially, Blaze is the guy on the ground. He'll, he'll go or phone or go to the university and meet the guy and then talk, talk about MAJ and resilience and then try and set up the connection. So we had done that video call, but nothing else had transpired. So then, uh, towards a few, you know, about the last few days that I was there, uh, we're getting ready to forget what we finished doing that day, but there was me, Sensei, and I think Zula, and Blaze joined us later, but we're just, okay, we're going to go for pizza or something. So Sensei picks up his phone, phones Professor Vincent, and says, get your butt over here for pizza. <laughs> Literally. And didn't tell him I was there. So Vincent doesn't argue with Sensei. And so they're just old buddies. They're like old school buddies. Come. So that guy is so connected in the country. It's crazy. And again, so supportive of what we're doing. So... He comes over, again, sitting across the table, being able to go back and forth, back and forth. I don't know where things are gonna go in the future with Professor Vincent. He's a little bit, maybe a little bit old school in terms of, he, he talked more and more about psychotherapy. Uh, so some people in the trauma field spend most of their time on sort of like talk therapy with trauma. And that's one aspect about the resilience program and what we're doing is most world experts now, like Bessel van der Kolk, Peter Levine, and others, recognize that you cannot do tr traditional trauma therapy without incorporating a physical component because of our nervous system and whatnot. So um, that's why what we do works so amazingly well. Uh, but we still, we, you know, we've got a good rapport. We'll see where that goes with him. And again, I hear this a lot too. He's a, he's a professor. So intellectuals they tend to like they do their thing but as far as getting other things done they're not the best at getting other things done so the last project that I did when I, we were there uh, again just God just pulls these pieces together this wasn't organized before I left so Blaze and I went to meet with some top people in the Ministry of Youth. Ministry of Youth in Rwanda is actually quite formal, quite organized. And they have run all kinds of youth centers around the country. And so we were talking to them about doing a project. And we were going to do it in Kimisagara, an area we've worked before. Very poor area. So we go there to talk to them about it, trying to get final approval. The two guys we met with, one of them was the manager of a different youth center. So he kind of hijacked me and said, no, 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 you got to come over to this one. We got bigger problems over here. So we went over here. So we got moved. 
So we ended up at this youth center. You see that, who recognizes that uh, scarf around her neck? Does anybody here recognize that? Nobody? Seriously? She's a girl guide. You knew. <laughs> right? So this youth center we went to was, was very neat. I mean, it's dilapidated concrete buildings and they need facilities and everything else, but they're doing a good job. The, the manager of it is this guy in the middle. Uh, Ellie is his name. Uh, so we got there. We had 10 of these girls, late teens, early 20s, that we were going to work with, faced all kinds of serious trauma. And then we had a few other people that Blaze brought from their church that were also incorporated into the training. So uh, Ellie, as well, the manager, I wasn't expecting him to get involved and actually participate in all the training, which he did. He did every little bit of it. And at the end, when everybody was doing testimonies, I couldn't believe his testimony. And again, having grown up in Rwanda and everything, the stuff he's been through. So uh, amazing stories. So just the connectedness there, the passion they have for looking after each other, and the passion of, of accepting anything valuable that we might bring them is just, just amazing. So this is just the end. We, we always present certificates of participation at the end, so that's what we're doing here. This girl's name is Zebra. There she is there. Some of the focusing time. Just if, if you let yourself think about it for too long, which I try not to do. It's just heartbreaking, the, the, the beauty of these people, but then the, the violence and trauma that they've gone through. So this was a choice photo. One sort of a quote that kind of came to me, I think not long, I guess not long after our 2015 trip was heaven is where love and justice meet. So we know God's a God of justice, but he's also a God of love. Right? And he wouldn't be who he is without being a God of justice. But when you put those both together, I think that encompasses hugely who he is and potentially what heaven is like. So this is one of my the perks of the work. Very gratifying. Just wanted to share this with you just quickly. Uh, this is or this uh, piece here is from Peter Levine, one of Peter Levine's books. But it gives you a bit of an idea on why the the physical training that we do, why it is so effective with dealing with trauma. So he says here, trauma disconnects people from their bodies. In love, we are swept off our feet. But in trauma, our legs are pulled out from under us. Okay? And trauma then has a direct effect on your body's nervous system. So grounding and centering, as you shall see, reconnects you directly with the resources 
naturally available in your own body. It's important to reestablish your relationship to both the ground and to your body's center of gravity. And a lot of what we're doing and teaching is exactly that. The place where action and feeling originate. These functions are compromised in trauma. In trauma, people lose their ground. So an important part of healing is learning to reestablish that ground. So going through these exercises, so he's talking about, Peter Levine has designed some exercises called somatic experiencing. Um, some of you would know that. His style of exercise are what we just called pretty kind of the slow approach, or is it just a little more aggressive, a little more active in the exercise, but they're kind of similar purposes, similar ideas. Um, it'll help you create a feeling of safety, a sense that you cannot so easily be knocked off your balance by your emotions, sensations, or thoughts. So one of the definitions of trauma is helplessness, that total feeling of helplessness. So when a traumatic event happens, just because a traumatic event happens, it doesn't mean you're going to be traumatized. Okay? But when a traumatic event happens, if you have no power over what's happening, that's generally when you're going to be traumatized. Okay? So there's this description you hear of fight, flight, or freeze. So when we freeze, that's part of that being traumatized. So giving back that power is a huge part of trauma healing, becoming re-empowered. Again, don't have lots of time today. Love to just maybe spend, uh, I don't know how to do some special sessions just on the resilience training sometime. So we could take the lives have passed since the 1994 genocide against Tutsi that claimed the lives of million people, leaving behind orphans, widows, and countless survivors of this unspeakable horror. Those who survived this ordeal still bear their emotional scars and the dissolution that have left them psychologically damaged. But how do you move on from traumatizing experience? New methods are being created that can lead one towards a path of hope. All of the grips of despair, isolation, anxiety, depression, and other telltale signs of trauma. Since 2017, Martial Arts for Justice, a Canadian charity, has been creating the unique program known as Enhanced Resilience Training. This training has been delivered to the genocide widows and all ages to fight and defeat trauma through a combination of mind, body exercise, special breathing techniques, self-defense training along with traditional counseling ideas. Through this special training, beneficiaries begin to see the reverse of effects that trauma has on the nervous system. After traumatic event, Master Seminoff explains that our nervous system is affected and left in a state of unbalanced operation which causes all the trauma symptoms. Master Dean Siminoff uses his 25 martial arts experience in mind and body movement to lead the participants through this special training. Come April 5th, 2019, the founder of this initiative, Master Dean Siminoff, assisted by Blaise Miliwakwe, Zulu Mushambokazi, and Cindy Tarsis, a random master in mind.
martial arts delivered the resilience training for some young women at risk in Kigali. So we had a one-week training here with the Rwanda youth. I've been in this trip in Rwanda three weeks, but we had one week here, five days with these youth. So it was an amazing experience. We had in this youth center uh, 10 beneficiaries, so 10 older teen girls. So they were great participants and I think they benefited a lot. We had many uh, testimonies, great testimonies. Yeah, it's always very encouraging and this science even, it's not even just martial arts, it's, it's uh, mind-body training, really. Moving the body, uh, energizing the nervous system, breathing and all kinds of other exercises that help virtually reset our body from trauma. Among those who attended the program at first, some did not fully understand the concept of training and how it can help to fight trauma. However, after the first day, many realized the significant benefits after experiencing the healing process. During this five days training, the Martial Arts for Justice team taught these women how to keep their eyes on goal, how to fight obstacles in their ways so to overcome trauma. <laughs> Martial Art for Justice recently signed a memorandum of understanding with Avika Agaozo, the Rwandan Genocide Association, who has 19,000 genocide widows under their care among their families members. This bold initiative will train dozens and dozens of community workers to be enhanced resilience instructors. Trainings will continue to take place around the country with upcoming agreements to be started with counseling associations and schools throughout the whole Rwanda. The MAJ team will further train others with a common goal of making enhanced resilience training and healing process for those battling trauma.
Thanks for your patience, everybody. Uh, one thing I just want to finish with is an example of like this scripture here. Uh, and I said this at the beginning, I wanted you to see God at work, all these doors that are opening along the way. Um, it's totally Him. And it can't happen without your prayer support here. And I feel that every time. I was mentioning to Gary, his last time there, putting his oil on my forehead there for this last trip. And uh, my wife, of course, anchoring with prayer back here at home. And Ruth, I know, and many others, Brian, everybody else, my directors praying back here. So many people praying, and that can't happen. I feel that every time I'm over there, of uh, just that, that peace, of no stress, of just doors opening, God's direction along the way. So it's, it's, a, it's a huge privilege always to be teaching or working with people in any kind of environment, even speaking here with you guys, this is a privilege to be doing this. And that's how I treat it uh, when we're over there. Um, so again, as you can see, the doors open, the opportunities, and I, like I said, I keep focusing on not rushing past Rwanda. We got lots of work to do there yet, but I see the, the bigger vision of what can be duplicated elsewhere. Okay, so your support's huge, again, in prayer, everything else, and anytime financially you wanna get involved with it, you can just see Brian go to our website, donate monthly, once, a t once, one shot, whatever, doesn't matter. But every dollar is going, and our, because we're a new organization, Brian, how much do you get paid, Brian? How much do you get paid? <laughs> we have pretty low overhead. Yeah, so, okay. Thanks, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that.